Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir in Chayim Oharan. We started the month of Elul, Tov Shin Pei Gimel, <coughs> headed towards Rosh Hashanah. We're continuing from the section entitled Mailas Hamiskarvim Elav, the, the tremendous benefit of those who come close to Rabbeinazal. And we're up to the paragraph Shin Lamadal of 331 in the version that we're using. Some of the older versions, it's paragraph 41. Reb Nachman Shirin, who put together this sefer, it's mostly Reb Nosanzal's words, but Reb Nachman Shirin was the one who organizes it. He writes that Reb Nachman said regarding the special minion that his students had in the city of Nemerov, where they davened together, and then afterwards the minion fell apart. Rabbeinazal commented, who knows what could, have, what could have been produced if your minion would have continued together. Your minion actually was boikea rekiyam. Boikea rekiyam means it split through the heavens. It went to the highest heavens. One additional item related to this, Rab Naftali Zal, who was Rab Zal's close friend, and these two were considered the closest students of Rabbein Azal. Rab Naftolizal was once singing in the base medrash at night together with some of his friends, some other Breslavers, they were singing. And this base medrash was attached to the apartment where Rabbein Azal lived. Rabbein Azal had already laid down to go to sleep, which means that number one, it was at the end of a full day, and everything Rabbein Azal did in his life had tremendous significance. So if he lay down to sleep, it means there was, there was a certain closure of the day. Rabbein Azal got up, and he went into the room where they were to listen to the singing. And afterwards, he said to them, to his students, that your singing was boikea rekiyim. It split through the heavens. And we know that Rabbein Azal wasn't one to exaggerate. He wasn't trying to flatter them. He wasn't saying, this is cute, this is pretty. If he said that this is boikea rikim, he meant it. He meant that this was something that was on such a high level. And he said, you could imagine, if I had already lay down to sleep, and your singing drew me out of my bed to come into here to listen, you could imagine how special it was. is something that I've mentioned in the past. Even for those who heard it, it's worth hearing it again. There was a, a very important rabbi that lived in the neighborhood Harnof, where I first lived for the first 15 years when I, made, when I moved to Eretz Yisrael. This rabbi was on the Bezdin of Yerushalayim, very knowledgeable and a very, very close friend. And where he lived, the, the neighborhood Harnof, for those that are familiar, is on a mountain. And there are levels. The level that I lived on was the bottom level of the mountain. Rechov Chaitai, for those who are familiar or those who want to be familiar. The rabbi lived on Rechov HaKablan, which is the top level of the mountain, which means there were about six levels to go down for him to come to where, we, where my friends and I lived and to go back up. It was about 350 stairs, I believe six or seven staircases that they had to, he had to go down. 
And he wasn't that old, but he had a weak heart. And just about every Shabbos, he would walk down all of these 350 stairs to come daven with us, with our minion. Along the way, he might have passed three or four shuls that he could very easily have gone into to daven there, but he didn't. He chose to daven with the Breslov minion, to daven with us. And at that time, we didn't have an official shul. We were davening in a miklat. A miklat is a bomb shelter in our building. It's a, a, a relatively large room that could hold maybe 100 people, but the, the floor didn't even have necessarily nice floor tiles. It's, it's mostly like cement, beton, what they call here in Israel. And it didn't have, we had a little bit of air conditioning. In other words, it wasn't the most comfortable, beautiful shul, but he chose to come daven with us and to walk back up those 350 stairs. And one time he mentioned to me, I'm going to share something with you that's very important that you need to know. He said there's a chubas for Ridvaz. The Ridvaz lived around the time of the Arizal, about 500 years ago. And the Ridvaz wrote many, many responses, many halachic decisions. And in one of his chuvas, the Ridvaz writes that if a person has a choice to daven with a group of, a large group of people, could be a few hundred people, all religious, all observant, but the person has no personal connection with them. Or to daven with a small group, less than a minion, six or seven people who are a chabura. They learn together, they share the same ideology, they have a certain closeness among them. The Ritvaz writes, better to daven with the six or seven people without a minion which means no Kaddish, no Baruch Hu, no Kedusha, not being able to read the Sefer Torah, than to daven with that larger group. And he said, I'm telling this to you to stress to you how special your minion is. The fact that this is a Chabura, a group of people who made Aliyah, they moved Teretz Yisrael together, they're all Breslev, they all follow the same rabbi, the same teachings, the same ideology. There's an incredible Chashivus to such a minion. And I remember my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, when the, the minion was first organized in America, in the United States, when he was living, <clears throat> he was so excited that his students were getting together, even though we lived in different neighborhoods, miles away from each other. We organized car rides. People, this one would pick up that one and that one to, to put together this minion of 15 or 18 people that would daven together every morning, people who all were on the same program, all went to the mikveh every day, all davened together, all read Tikkunah Kloli, Rabbeinu on a daily basis, all would do a rikid after the davening, as is the custom in Breslov, and would learn halacha for 10-15 minutes after davening. Together we would have a short halacha shir after the davening every morning. And he stressed us that this was an incredible, incredible Hatzlacha. And we see that it's based on this statement of Rabbein Azal here, that Rabbein Azal said to his students, this minion was not with Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman lived in Breslau. They lived in Nemerov, which is about 18 kilometers from Breslau. But the fact that this was a group of close friends who shared the same rabbi, who had similar feelings about Yiddishkeit, that their davening together was very, very meaningful.
we know that we started the month of Elul, the countdown towards Rosh Hashanah. And Rabbeinazal stressed that Rosh Hashanah is the most important day of the entire year. The Gemara tells us that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem decides what the whole upcoming year, what the next year will hold. And Rabbeinazal stressed that especially on Rosh Hashanah, he wanted all of his students or anyone who respects his opinion to come to him for Rosh Hashanah. And there was tremendous significance we see during Rabbeinazal's time and during Rabbeinazal's time afterwards. Rabbeinazal lived tens of years after Rabbi Nachman, and this minion continued and it grew. The kibbutz that, that Rabbi Nachman had during his lifetime, the last year of his lifetime, there were approximately five, six hundred people that came to daven together for Rosh Hashanah with him. And afterwards, Rabbeinazal continued this and it grew. When I first came to Eretz Yisrael 36 years ago, I remember that at that time there were two large groups in Eretz Yisrael. There was one group that went to Miron for Rosh Hashanah to be by Rabbi Shema Bar Yechoi because Rabbi Nezal put tremendous emphasis on being with the Tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah. And that group in that, that year in 1987 I remember there were about 1,300, somewhere between 1,300 and 2,000 people in Miron gathered together. In Yerushalayim, there were another few thousand people davening together in, a, in an organized, you know, Rosh Hashanah davening. And then there were other groups in the United States, in Canada, people who couldn't make it to Eretz Yisrael. This was before communism fell, so Uman wasn't an option at the time. These were the sizes of the kibbutz at that time. When the perestroika broke out and communism fell and it became possible to go to Uman, it began the first year there were 250 people, the next year 1,000, the next year 3,000, and mushroomed to reach a height at one point of about 60,000 people coming to join together for Rosh Hashanah. Not all of them davened in one shul under one roof, but it was a gathering, everybody gathering together for the same purpose, with the same intent, that we're joining our Rebbe, we're joining Rabbi Nezal, Rabbi Nachman, for Rosh Hashanah, davening together for Rosh Hashanah. We see here that Rabbi Nezal put tremendous emphasis on this, that there's tremendous chashivas to this. Now, when he spoke about this group of students that were singing together, person would say, He's not talking about a hundred people or something. There might've been five or seven people there, whatever it was. How big a deal could that be? And the answer is that there's a Pasuk in Tehillim where the Pasuk says, Toiv me'at latzadik me'hamoyim reshoim rabim. The Torah teaches us that in Yiddishkeit, there's an issue of quantity and quality. And sometimes the Gemara tells us that there was a woman who gave birth to 600,000 in one shot. This was Yocheved, the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu, who gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu, who is considered like 600,000 neshamas together. And we know that when we talk about tzaddikim, the, again, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. You could have Rabbeinu Zal in a chapter, and the Kutimran speaks about giving tzedakah, and he says that the more, the more, the more people a person gives tzedakah to, the more they create an atmosphere of friendship. So if a person gives tzedakah to 10 people, they're creating 10 units of friendship. If they give to 100 people, obviously it's much more. 
And then Rabbi Nezal says, when it, but therefore it's so important to give to a Talmud Chacham, because a Talmud Chacham is a Neshama Kloli. A Talmud Chacham could be considered like a hundred people or a thousand people or even more because of the fact that he's on a completely different level. Any questions? The next paragraph, Shin Lamed Beis 332, a one-line statement, a very powerful statement. Rabbi Nezal said, Ani nohor hametaher mikol haksonim. I am a river that can purify from every possible type of stain. We know that the Gemara and the other Sforim stress that when a person commits a sin, it puts a stain on the neshama. The Torah speaks about clean garments. When we speak about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Pasuk says, in, in, in you, if your sins will be red like a, like a blood worm, they'll be whitened like snow. And this is the terminology that's used, we know that on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, there's a custom that people have to put on a white kittle, a white garment, to stress that this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to whiten, to bleach, to get rid of all the stains, all the negativity on our neshama. And here Rabbi Nezal said that I am a nahar, a, a river that can purify from all different possible stains. We know that the, the opening word of the Tikkun HaKloli, the Tikkun HaKloli is a formula that Rabbi Nezal revealed of reciting 10 specific chapters of Tehillim, where these 10 chapters, this formula, Rabbi Nezal said, is a general tikkun. It's a tikkun for anything and everything that a person might have done wrong, including especially pegama bris. If a person committed sins in the area of purity, the relationship between men and women in terms of thought and speech and action, and even the worst type of pegama bris, Rabbi Nezal said that this formula is a tikkun for that also, especially. The Tikkun HaKloli begins with chapter 16 in Tehillim, which begins with the word Michtam, Michtam Ledovid. And the word Michtam is also Mikesem, from a stain, that this is addressing any stains that a person might have on their neshama, and this tefillah is something that's intended to wash away, to remove those stains. In the Tikkun Zoyar, it's brought that the word Nohar, the word Nohar, which means a river, which is a, a type of mikvah, something a person goes into to be purified. The word Nohar, when we write out each letter as a word, the way we pronounce it, Nun, Nun Vav Nun, Hey, I believe it's spelled Hey Yud, and Resh, Resh Shin or Resh Yud Shin, it adds up to 612, which is the gematria of the word Bris, so that the term Nohar refers specifically to purification, purification, especially in this area, in the area of the bris. The next paragraph, Shin Lamed Gimel, Rabbi Nezal said about his two students, Rab Zal and Rab Naftali Zal, Zeizen Zichgor Dimentin, 
these are diamonds. That's how he described them. <clears throat> and one time, Rabbi Nizal was speaking to one of his students, and a discussion came up regarding Rabbi Nizal, and this student said, I feel confident that in the future he's going to be at Sadiq. Rabbi Nizal said, I say that he's already at Sadiq. And Rabbi Nizal didn't throw that word around loosely. He didn't use that word. There are some people who are very easy with those words. This one's at Sadiq. That one's at Sadiq. He's at, she's at Sadiq. <clears throat> Rabbi Nizal measured his words very carefully. And it's known that when they first met at the first meeting that Rabbi Nizal and Rabbi Naftolizal came to Rabbi Nizal, and they were introducing themselves to him, and they mentioned their family tree, and it, it became it became revealed that they were that they were family somewhere along the way. Rav Nasazal, through his father-in-law, was related a little bit to Rav Nasazal and Rav Naftolizal also. And Rav Nasazal made a comment. He said to them, he said, "We know each other from before. It's just that it's been a while that we haven't seen each other." And now, Baruch Hashem, we're seeing each other again, implying that we know the Torah teaches us that from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was this special bond between rabbi and student, Moshe Rabbeinu and Yehoshua, whom the Gemara compares to the sun and the moon. The sun is full of light, and the moon has no light of its own. It receives its light from the sun. And this is an example of a combination of a rabbi and student that, that bring a certain shleimus to Klal Yisrael. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu taught Yeshua is what guaranteed the continuity of everything that Moshe Rabbeinu had done, not just the continuity, but the completion. Moshe Rabbeinu began the project of taking the Jews out of Mitzrayim and bringing them into Eretz Yisrael, but Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't physically there when it was completed. Yeshua, his student, was the one to complete that mission, and then to pass on the Torah further and further. Rabbi Nezal and Rabbi Nezal are also referred to as this concept of the, the Rebbe and student, this magical connection between a rabbi and student, where Rabbi Nezal said about Rabbi Nezal, were it not for him, there wouldn't be a page, not one page of my, my teachings. Rabbi Nezal was the one who had the incredible level of respect for his Rebbe, and for every word that came out of his Rebbe's mouth, to make sure to write it down as much as he could, as much as was possible at the time. Still, there was a lot that was lost, but Baruch Hashem, the maximum that could be humanly possible to do, Rabbi Nosanzal did his best to be able to do. And, and in fact, we see that thanks to, to this combination, hundreds of years later, Today we have thousands, hundreds of thousands of sforim all over the world and new sforim being generated. Just today I received a new Sipuri Maisis with a new commentary, a young rabbi in Eretz Yisroel who became a Kur of Tabreslav about 15 years ago, a Sephardic rabbi, Rabbi Leo Atiyah Shlita, who just recently produced, wrote a commentary, a new commentary on Likutimran, a new commentary on Sipuri Maisis, a new commentary on Sefer Amidas. And all of this is built on a foundation that was laid by this combination of the sun and the moon, the Rebbe and the student.
Here again now, Reb Nachman Shirin writes that I heard that one time Reb Levi Yitzchok Bargitchev was visiting the city of Trovitsa, and he was sitting at a, a banquet with the people there. There was a large assemblage of people, and in front of all of these people, he spoke very proudly about the greatness of Rabbi Nezal, Rabbi Nachman, and he said, besides the fact that he's a great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov <coughs> and Rabbi Nachman Horodenka, besides the fact that he comes from such holy lineages, he himself is a unique giant in Torah, in Avedis Hashem, and he also spoke very highly about Rabbi Nezal's students, and he said, I know that the majority of them are tremendous Talmidei Chachomim, Yereim, Shleimim, Anshemaisa, not just very knowledgeable, but very religious, people who are great in Torah, in Tefillah, in all areas of Yiddishkeit. And Reb Levi Yitzchak Bardichev said about Reb Nosanzal, who spent time by Reb Levi Yitzchak before he met Rabbi Nazal. And Reb Levi Yitzchak said, he's a tzaddik. Then, when Reb Levi Yitzchak was leaving the city of Travetsa, one of the great students of Rabbi Nazal, Reb Shmuel Yitzchak from Chirin, the, the rabbi of the city of Chirin at that time, was in the wagon with Reb Levi Yitzchak, and Reb Levi Yitzchak said to him, believe me, if I would know that people would listen to me, I would scream, I would announce from one end to the world to the other world, and that whoever wants to become religious, whoever wants to become a tzaddik and wants to serve Hashem to the maximum, they should come close to the holy rabbi, Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev. However, I am positive, I know for sure, that not only won't they listen to me, because of the conflict that went on at the time, because of the machlokes, but I know that this will initiate a major machlokes against me. And he said, maybe there's one person whom I succeed in bringing close to Hashem, a person who will have a hearer tshuva, a sincere thought of tshuva through me, and, and I don't want to lose out on that. So therefore, I have to be quiet. I can't make this announcement. But this is how Rabbi Yitzhak Bardicha felt about Rabbi Nizam. Rabbi Yitzhak was much older than him, his senior and much, much more known at the time. And this is the level of respect that he and many other giants of the generation at that time had for Rabbi Nizam. Any questions? Rav Nosanzal writes, I heard that Rav Nosanzal... Yes. Uh, thank you. On the on the on the, on uh, Klali, purifying, um, there's the concept. Is there the concept that, of course, doing the Tikuna Klali purifies for everything, um, but also progressive purification. That is to say, you do it every day, and there's more purification and more and more. Is that the case? Most definitely. Interesting that you bring this up because just this morning the question came up <clears throat> in Eretz Yisrael. The question came up about where Rav Nosanzal was speaking about Yom Kippur 
And he was saying that the holiday of Yom Kippur forgives for all sins. And somebody asked the question, then if that's the case, once Yom Kippur is over, we're finished. We're 100% clean, right? And I stressed that even though Rav Nosanzal uses that wording, it doesn't mean literally. He doesn't mean it literally. He means compared to other times, compared to Rosh Hashanah even, which is a could be a complete forgiveness for tzaddikim or for and for and chas v'shom for rishoyim. They are opposite. The 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 majority of Klal Yisrael is judged with a certain level of finality on Yom Kippur, but the Gemara makes a clear statement that there are certain sins that Yom Kippur does not forgive for, and we know that after Yom Kippur we continue trying to do tshuva. Rabbi Nezal taught us that a Jew is doing tshuva every single day. And even the great tzaddikim are doing tshuva every day for the fact that yesterday I wasn't as good as I am today, even though they didn't do any wrong, they didn't do any sins. So the tshuva process is something conti continuing. The purification process is also. What we're stressing is that this is an incredible high level of purification. That's the point. Thank you. The next paragraph, Shin Lamedalid, Rav Nassazal says, I heard that Rav was once speaking about how special his followers are. And he said that even when one of them gets confused at one point in time, he starts having doubts about Emunah, still, they are so solid in their emuna that he bounces back. Person might have ups and downs, but, but the, those that come close to Rabbeinazal have such a strong foundation that even though they will experience ups and downs, they will not fall out completely. And he spoke about one of his followers who was a, 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 a great tzaddik, and Rabbi Nezal said about him that this student performed the tshuva of the Sefer HaKoneh. The Sefer HaKoneh is one of the secret Sifrei Kabbalah, which is known. And in the Sefer HaKoneh, it describes a certain program of tshuva that's very, very difficult. Very few rare individuals are able to carry out this tshuva HaKoneh, as it's called. And Rabbi Nezal said, this student did it. And it's written in this Sefer that a person who performs this tshuva is guaranteed that they will not fall into sin again. And Rabbi Nezal said regarding this student, I'm willing to co-sign for him that he will definitely not commit sins anymore. And Rab, and Rab Nezal writes, a while later, this person somehow got into a state of confusion and, and fell into a depression, a deep depression. And he was brought before Rabbeinazal and he told Rabbeinazal that what got him into this state of depression is the fact that there's a Gemara that says, Hillel Mechayadeswanim. The Gemara says that there are people who are financially poor, they struggle. They struggle to support a family. 
And because of that, they have to put in a lot of hours of work and other things. And they can't really devote a lot of time and concentration for learning Torah, for tefillah, and, and other mitzvahs. So the Gemara says, a person should not think that that's going to excuse them. Because we know there was somebody by the name of Hillel who was extremely poor. And despite his poor state, he, he tried to do everything he could to be able to learn Torah. We know the Gemara tells an incredible story that one time he couldn't afford the tuition that was needed to get into the yeshiva. So he climbed up on the roof of the yeshiva to be able to listen in through a skylight, to be able to hear the words of Torah. And it snowed. There was a heavy snow that came down. But Hill Azokin was concentrating so hard on the words of Torah that were being said, he didn't feel it. He wasn't, wasn't aware of the snow or anything going on around him. And he was covered up with this snow. And at one point, when they saw that, they, they, that the light of the sun was blocked, they realized something was blocking the skylight. They discovered him there and pulled him out of there. But this, this shows the incredible dedication that Hillel had for learning Torah, despite, despite this major obstacle. So here again, so this student of Rabbein Azal said, if that's the case, then there's no hope for us. People like us who are so poor and, and the, the poverty prevents us to some degree from being able to spend a lot of, as much time as we would want to in Torah and mitzvahs. <coughs> but the student said, however, what gives me encouragement, what's, what's keeping me strong is the fact that I'm privileged to be close to you, close to Rabbi Nizal, and I believe that your power in heaven is so great even... <coughs> that even after a person passes away, that Rabbein will be able to see to it that the person will be in a good place. <coughs> the next paragraph, Shin Lamed Hay, 335. Rabbein was once speaking to his followers, and he said to them, the, my only pleasure in life is when I see any of you doing something for Yiddishkeit, doing something, whether it's learning Torah or praying better with more kavana. I, I gave up everything to be able to help you. I gave up a lot of my own things that I could have done to help myself my wife, my children, we know Rabbi Nizal's wife, his first wife passed away at a young age. And two of Rabbi Nizal's children passed away during his lifetime. And Rabbi Nizal said, and I did it, all of this was only for this purpose, only to be able to help you come closer to Hashem. Don't you think if I would have wanted, I could have become a well-known rabbi like other rabbis in the generation today that travel, <coughs> that their Hasidim travel to them, and the Hasidim don't know why they're going to them. Yes, the, the Hasid afterwards, what did you hear? What did you get from your rabbi? And they don't, you, they, don't, they don't have what to tell over, or you don't see a major change in them by having connected with their rabbi. However, I wasn't interested in any of that, but rather, 
I, I, I focused on bringing all of you close to Hashem, getting you to do tshuva, and getting you to really improve in your relationship with Hashem, with the Torah. And therefore, when I see even one of the poorest of my students whose hat is torn and his clothing are torn and his shoes are torn, and I see him davening with kavan, I see him doing a mitzvah, that to me is my, my is so precious to me. It's as if I would be doing the mitzvah myself. That's how much I, how proud I am. And therefore, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, be religious. Become Anoshim Ksherim, truly religious people, because this is the only thing I really want. This is the most important thing I want in my life. It's interesting. In the book Tzaddik, they mention a, a well-known story that Rav Nosanzal, one of Rav Nosanzal's students, who was extremely poor, This was the son of Rabbi Yudel. Rabbi Yudel was one of the close students of Rabbi Nezal, and he had, a he had a child that he named Nachman, and this, this child was very, very poor. Very often he didn't have food for Shabbos, and one time a, a person saw this Rabbi Nachman Rabbi Yudel standing near Rabbi Nezal, and he said to Rabbi Nezal, Imagine the Rachmanis on this person. Look how he's suffering. Look at the, the struggles he has in his life. And Rav Nassau commented, you're, you're worried about him? He's the one that you're pitying? He who's up since midnight, since Chatzos, and he's learning and davening with incredible intensity and deep, deep devotion and love for Hashem. Him you have pity on? Him you don't have to pity. He has a lot to look forward to. You could have pity on someone else. You could have pity on Moshe Chinkis, who was a, a wealthy person, who probably ate a beautiful, big, big meal this afternoon and drank wine and then lay down to go to sleep for his afternoon shluff. How many years is it going to take him to purify his soul? Rav Nelson Zal was making a point that people in the world, in this world, this world is called an oilam sheker. This world is upside down, topsy-turvy. We look at people in this world, religious people, and they seem to be suffering in a certain way. They don't have a lot of things that they need. They don't have car, they have to travel with buses or they have to walk, all kinds of different examples of struggles that people go through. And people think, wow, it's such a Rahmanas on that person. I really feel bad for that person. And the answer is, looking at it through materialistic eyes, looking through it on a physical level, it's true. That person doesn't have it easy. But when we see how the Torah describes how temporary life is in this world and how eternal life is in the future world, and if we see a person who serves Hashem properly and well, we, we believe that this person has an incredible eternal future to look forward to, we need to realize that between the two, in terms of who we're pitying, the greater pity is on those people who don't know about Shabbos, they don't know about Kashrus, they don't know about mitzvahs, 
or even people who were raised religious, but unfortunately don't feel don't don't feel the connection to Hashem and don't feel the need to get close to Hashem. That's where the greater pity is. We talk about we know that the the Gemara and the Shulchan speak about charity. Charity people give charity very often because they feel pity. And where do they give charity? Many most people hospitals rehabilitate. Because again, there's nothing worse than a person who's sick and helping people that are sick, helping them get better. What could be a, a, a higher level charity than that? And the Torah tells us that again, there's physical illness and there's spiritual illness. When a person is going through physical illness, we know that it could be painful and, and it's important to do what we can to cure the person, to heal the person. Unfortunately, not always do hospitals or doctors succeed? Very often we see the opposite results. A person goes into a hospital with a minor problem, they need minor surgery, and either they don't come out alive, many cases like that, or a person comes out with a worse problem than they went in. Whereas people who are spiritually ill, people who are far from Torah, far from Hashem, and to give these people the opportunity to learn to teach Torah to them, the, the yeshivas, the shuls, where Torah is being taught, where, where Hashem is being brought to people and people are being brought close to Hashem, there certainly is a major, major advantage to a person giving support to those things. Any questions? A good question in the chat. This person, this person who Rabbeinazal called a tzaddik, who did the tshuva sakone, and Rabbeinazal said, I can sign for him that he's not committed any sin. How did such a person get depressed? And, and this, is a, this is an incredible message to us to know how difficult a battle this is. That Rabbeinazal wasn't kidding when he said, Mitzvah gedoilo lihiyos besimcha tamid that it's a major mitzvah for a person to be happy. And Rabbi Nezal says there in Likutim Aran that a person has to use all of their efforts, all of their strength. This takes tremendous strength to be happy always, to be constantly happy because everyone has tests in this area. And we see even this student had a test in, in this area. It, it, it's, but, but even, in, even, during the, even when he was in that state, we see he said, but he's, he's not giving up. He's not totally depressed because he said, I know that my connection to the tzaddik, even if my, the, the Eight Sahara will tell me that I, I haven't done a lot of things I should have done or could have done, and I've made many mistakes in my life, no matter what, the fact that I'm privileged to have a connection to the tzaddik I believe that that will definitely override everything. Question? Um, would you say that um, it's the same important to give money to a spiritual health and The question, is it, is it equally important to, to give charity to, to places that are curing people, healing people spiritually versus people healing people physically? The answer is that the Torah says, that the spiritual healing is more important. Definitely, it's on a much higher level. 
This doesn't mean that that we that we don't do anything to help people that are physically sick. If a person needs an operation or something like that, but on a general level between the two, this is on a much higher level. Rabbi Nassau was talking to his students and he said that this is the third day that I'm trying to achieve something, I'm trying to understand something, and I, I wasn't successful. And I was forced to use one of the good deeds of one of my students in order to be able to help me to be able to achieve this great hasaga. And with, with, the, with the use of this good deed that my student did, I was successful and I was able to achieve, to be able to understand this very high level thing. And Rabbi Nezah went on to say, and therefore, do you think it's so unusual that the Baal Shem Tov was able to achieve such incredible high level hasogos, such incredible high level understanding of Torah and Hashem, if he had such great students who were such tzaddikim, who performed such outstanding good deeds, that's part of what helped the Baal Shem to be able to achieve what he did. And this is an incredible, incredible encouragement to the students of Itzadi. <laughs> Rabbi Nezal said, we need him. The, the students need the rabbi and the rabbi needs the students. And a student has the ability to be able to help a rabbi in a very, very big way. We know the Mishnah says in Perkei that one of the rabbis, I believe it was Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel, said, I, I learned a lot from my rabbis, more from my colleagues, and still more from my students, showing that if ever the Satan, the Yitzhahara, wants to tell us, ah, not such a big deal if I don't go to shul for Mara al-Davan at home or anything like that, to know that in addition to helping myself and helping my own family, that any good deed that I do doesn't just help me, it helps all my family, any friends, anyone that I'm attached to, there, there, are, there are times that something that a student will do can affect a major, major change in their rabbi. One time before Shavuos, this was the Shavuos when Rabbi Nezal, which Rabbi Nezal spent in the city of Zaslov. This is the year 5,567, when Rabbi Nezal's wife was very, very sick, and she ended up passing away on Erev Shavuos. And there's a lot written about all the circumstances that went on before that and during that time. And Rabbi Nezal heard about a person who passed away who wasn't a close student of his, but he had a little bit of a connection to Rabbi Nezal. And Rabbi Nezal said, who knows what this person is going through now? H however, had he been closer to me, had he been really close to me, like some of my close students, and now Shavuos is coming, probably it would have seemed to him that he's preparing to come for Shavuos. He's renting a wagon and making all the preparations to come to be with his Rebbe for the holiday of Shavuos. And because he's no longer living, 
the malachim, the angels, would have had to reveal to him that, what are you doing this for? You're, you're not living, you're not physically living right now. And it would have been a tremendous benefit for him to be informed that he's no longer alive. We touched on this previously in other places in Chaim Aran, that when a person passes away, sometimes the person can be in a state of not knowing that they're dead. The angels, the person can be put in a world which copies this physical world. And the person could think they're still alive, they're still going through their routine, and they're not. So Rabbein, as I'll say, this would have been a tremendous benefit for him to be informed that he's no longer living. However, now, now, the fact that he wasn't so close <clears throat> could be that it appears to him that he's brewing beer. It seems could be this is what this student did at the time for a living, cooking barley and making beer and going to buy barley and other things. He's busy with all of these things. He thinks he's still in this world. He thinks he's still doing business. This is what the comment Rabbein Azal made about the difference between the students that were really close to him and a student who only had minimal contact. And yet, Rabbein Azal says that after Shavuos, Rabbein Azal said that that person was with us for Shavuos. That neshama was with us for Shavuos. And again, this is a, a word of encouragement that we see that even a person who has a certain minimum connection to a tzaddik, that can, that can help a person tremendously in this world and in the next world. That same year, <clears throat> before Shavuos, some of the people from the city of Zaslav were standing with Rabbi Nizal, and they told them about a certain wealthy person who had given a large sum of money to Reb Baruch, Reb Baruch uncle, who was a well-known rabbi at the time, and whom people would help to support. Rabbi Nizal heard this, and one of the people that had come for Shavuos was a very poor man from the city of Nemerov. And Rabbi Nizal said to these people, you see this man here? He gave me much more than what that wealthy person gave to Reboruch based on his level. Because this person is a, a malamed. He's a teacher of, of children. And when he heard during Pesach time that Rabbi Nizal was going to be in Zaslav, in the city of Zaslav for Shavuos, and he thought that it's very possible that Rabbi Nizal is going to be staying there even after Shavuos, because Rabbi Nizal had traveled there because his wife was very sick, and they were seeing certain doctors there that his wife wanted to see. And he understood that if he hires himself out to teach, he will not be able to be to go to Rabbi Nizal for Shavuos, because the trip could have taken a week to go there, to come back, etc. And therefore, he didn't take a job. He didn't take a job to teach. And that entire summer, he was without Parnassa because he had such respect, because he wanted so much to be with Rabbein for Shavuos. So Rabbein said, so you see, this person sacrificed much more to come close to me than the, the donation that that wealthy person gave to Rebaruch.
this is a very important point in how we look at people, that people aren't necessarily measured equally. There's a story we've told in the past that Rav Nosanzal and Rav Naftali Zal were once waiting to go in to see Rav Nosanzal, and they're waiting and they're waiting, which means somebody was in there for a long time. And, and they were wondering, who is this very important person that Rabbein is spending so much time talking to him? And when the person walked out, they saw it was a very simple person, a person who wasn't a major Talmud Chacham or anything. And they were both surprised. And when they went in to see Rabbein Azal, Rabbein Azal said to them, did you see this person who just walked out? And they said, yes. Rabbein Azal said, he's a nichnas v'yotza b'shalom. He's on a level like how the Gemara describes Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara tells us that there were four great rabbis that went to a very high place in Shamayim. Rabbi Akiva and Benazai and Ben Zayma and Acher. And the Gemara tells a whole story about what happened to each one of them. And the Gemara says only one of them was completely successful. And that was Rabbi Akiva, who entered and left in peace meaning he was completely successful. There were no side effects, no harm, no damage at all from this incredible aliyah. When they heard this, they're trying to think, how in the world is Rabbi Nizal comparing this person to Rabbi Akiva? And Rabbi Nizal smiled and he added, in his madrega, meaning from what Hashem expects from him, he's maximizing, he's doing the best the maximum, the best that he could possibly do. And it's extremely important, people that have children, people that have students, and no two people are the same. No two children are the same, and no two students are the same. And a person needs to know how to be able to judge each and every person based on their abilities, based on what they're capable of doing. One person's 60 on a test could be much, much better could mean they worked harder, they put in much more effort than someone else who got a 90 on the same test. There, there are cases of a student who would get a 90 on a test and the teacher goes over to the student and says, I know you didn't study. You didn't look at the material because I know you. I know that you're, you have a very good head and you pick this stuff up easily. And based on the one or two mistakes I saw you made, it, it's only because you didn't look at the material at all. And the other student who got a 60, whom the teacher knows that this student struggles, it's a tremendous struggle for them to understand the material and to remember it. For this person to get a 60, the person put in tremendous effort. And we know the Gemara says, Hashem doesn't count how many pages a person studied. Hashem counts how many hours a person put into it. The effort has a tremendous significance in the eyes of Hashem and in the eyes of Tzadikim. Question, so shouldn't everyone go to Uman now? Like Rabbein Azal's disciple who didn't take a job? Because who knows what can happen with closures and Israeli government interference like three years ago? <laughs> The, the answer is, it's, it's, it's difficult to tell. We're hoping, we're hoping that things now are not what they were three years ago and two years ago. The circumstances then were very, very extenuating with Corona, 
with different things going on. We're hoping, we're watching, keeping an eye on what's going on and hoping that there shouldn't be a need to leave a month before like then. Things could change. And again, those people who don't go to Uman, we're hoping and wishing that their tefillahs will be accepted, that everyone will be in, in a place where in a kibbutz, in a gathering of people that are united that, 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 and the tefillahs will be received properly and well from all over the world. It's a shame. Any other questions? Yeah, Rabbi, I had a question on the idea of the sun and the moon. So what does it mean earlier in the, in the previous one that, that the Talmudian can really have a, an effect? Usually the moon doesn't have an effect. Good question. We said that one of the ways that we describe the relationship between a rabbi and a student is like the sun and the moon, that the moon has no light of its own other than what it receives from the sun. However, in another place in the Kutimran, Rav Enzal quotes the Arizal, who speaks about an oyer yoshar and an oyer choyzer. There's a concept in, in Judaism, in Torah, in spirituality, that when a person speaks to another person, sometimes a person will be speaking to another person, trying to influence them about a certain thing, and they don't succeed, they don't necessarily succeed. And the person says, I guess I failed, I guess it was a waste of time. Number one, regarding the person you spoke to, sometimes they won't hear it right away. Sometimes there's a delayed reaction. But in addition to that, the Sifrei Kabbalah tell us that when you're speaking to somebody else, when you're giving over to a student, there's light, spiritual light going from you to that person and bouncing back to you. There's an Or Choyzer. And that definitely has an effect, a major effect. We see what we saw in the past and we'll see in the future in Rabbi Nezal's interaction with his students, that the students gave, gave him encouragement at times. And when Rabbi Nezal was very ill, he begged his students to be mispowered for him. You would say, if he's the sun and they're the moon, what can they help him? And the answer is we see from those stories, definitely yes, definitely yes. The Arizal pleaded with his students to be mispalel for him at certain points in time. Reb Nussin, on the story of the man who was on doing the best he could on his madrega, as Reb Benazel said, so is a, is a madrega something a, guy, a person has for life, or is it possible a person can go to a different madrega through, you know, effort? Is, 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 it, set, or is it set in stone? That, that, that's all? Not at all. Not at all. People change, people change from minute to minute, minute to minute. But the story of Rabbi Nassau, he once went to a doctor and the doctor took his pulse and measured it and documented what it was. And then a, a moment, a minute later, he says, maybe check it again. Checked it again, it was something different. Check it again. And he saw each time it was different. And the doctor was wondering what's going on. He said, I'm, I'm not the same person. Every, every, every minute I'm changing, I'm, 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 I'm moving, I'm advancing. That's the great tzaddikim. But even by us, that a person one moment can be very, very close to Hashem, un, inspired, and, and then a short while later could be the opposite. And it could be the opposite also. A person could be feeling very weak at one point and then get themselves together and, and race forward. Final question, why the angels would only inform the person that he was already dead 
if he was preparing to go to Rabbeinu's for Shavuos, not if he were just about to do the worldly activities. <clears throat> the answer is because everything depends on where a person is. The Gemara says, whatever path a person wants to go on, that's the path that Hashem leads them on. That's They're given divine assistance to go. If a person wants, if a person during their lifetime makes every effort they can to come close to a tzaddik, then there's a good, good chance that afterwards they'll be able to. And I have mentioned in the past, there's a custom in Breslov that before a person is buried, right before a person is buried, we approach the person and tell them, you should know you're a mace. You should know that you're no longer living so that there's no chance of any angels confusing the person. And we remind the person, go straight to the tzaddik. Go straight to the tzaddik. Try, don't let anybody offer you anything else. If you ask, where do you want to go? I want to go to the tzaddik. I want to go to my Rebbe. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. And, and we're in Elul. We should be every day to advance. This is the, the, the Mephorshim tell us that this month is like all 12 months of the year. If a person does the right thing this month, it's credited for the entire year. We should be zeichet to make every day count and get to see the Yehula Shlema, Ben Heira Amen Amen.